Here it is. From deep inside your radio. Ladies and gentlemen, this broadcast is being recorded in advance so that I can um, fly over to Riyadh to pay my respects, you know, to the late King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia. No, no funeral, just buried in a, simply in an unmarked grave on the family compound. The founder of Saudi Arabia. Yes, it was founded. It wasn't losted, but it was founded. The Brits looked around when they were skedaddling and said, You! You look good. You look royal. He had 44 sons. That's what Al Jazeera reported this weekend. So he set the set the table for a situation much like is going on with the New Orleans Saints right now. Look it up. I... All the, all the lawyers in the Donald Sterling affair should be going down to New Orleans right now because it sounds like take two. Anyway, yes, no, really, I'm not joining the crowd. But what a crowd. The entire world, at least the leaders thereof, seem to have been united in their um, retrospective praise for the late King Abdullah, King of Saudi Arabia, for 20 years. Uh, not least, President Obama, fulsome in his praise, to the point where, although he could not, you know, because of the logistics, make it to the uh, photo op in Paris of world leaders to uh, stand up for free speech, he uh, will cut short his trip to India, you know, because what India, what, a billion people, to... Um, Make it on over to Riyadh. No funeral, just to pay his respects, you know. Just to put a dollar in the tip jar. Senator John McCain, never one to desist from praising dictators and autocrats if they uh, if they make the right deals with us. Fulsome in his praise of King Abdullah. Nobody... Uh, you know, the the country has beheaded more people in one year than IS in its dreams ever. They behead people there for heresy. There's a blogger who, you know, criticized the government. He's in jail for 10 years. His lawyer, I shared this with you, I think, last week, appealed his sentence of 10 years. He got 15 for his trouble. The blogger, the aforementioned blogger, also sentenced to a thousand lashes, 50 a week. He still can't get his second 50 because, according to doctors, he hasn't healed from the first yet. Could die if they picked up the pace. Yeah, it's a nutty old thing. And this from the New York Times on Saturday regarding the long-standing partnership relations, stri- strategic partnership between the United States and what could it possibly be based on and Saudi Arabia quote even when the relationship was challenged by the by Saudi Arabia's ties to al-Qaeda terrorists involved in the attacks of September 11th 2001 Washington worked hard to preserve the bond seeing the royal family as a bulwark against instability this is the royal family ladies and gentlemen just to remind you that for 
I think all of its tenure since it became royal has supported the most conservative, most fundamentalist form of Islam, Wahhabism, to the extent of spending millions of dollars establishing schools in uh, throughout the uh, Muslim world where uh, young people, especially men, you know, because of the thing, could learn the fundamentalist worldview. That hasn't resulted in anything bad. That's been good for stability, hasn't it? Our friends in Saudi Arabia. So I'm, I guess I am paying my respects right here, right now. Hello. Bidding farewell to Big Chief Bo Dallas. This is Hello. Welcome to the show.
really a delicate way of putting it. Despite the country's ties to al-Qaeda terrorists involved in 9-11, Washington worked hard to preserve the bond. Doesn't mention that uh, Washington turned around and attacked a country that had nothing to do with 9-11. Well, you had to do something. From the edge of America, from the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. You know, does it seem that things around here are getting less real, less authentic all the time? Well, it just seems that way. No, it really is. America's best-selling cars and trucks are now full of fake engine noise. The engine growl, this is from the Washington Post, the engine growl in some of America's best-selling cars and trucks is a finely tuned bit of lip-syncing, actually, that's a metaphor, boosted through special pipes or digitally faked altogether. Fake engine noises become one of the auto industry's dirty little secrets. Automakers from BMW to Volkswagen turn to a sound-boosting bag of tricks. Without them, today's fuel-efficient engines would sound far quieter, and automakers worry that would make them sound seemingly less powerful, potentially pushing buyers away. Automakers say they resort to artifice because they understand a key car buyer paradox. Drivers want all the force and fuel savings of a newer, better engine, but the classic sound... (laughs) of an old gas guzzler. Enhanced engine songs have become the signature of eerily quiet electrics, such as the Toyota Prius. Really? Not on the Tesla. Look out! But the fakery is increasingly finding its way into beefy trucks and muscle cars, long revered for their iconic... I could do that. I could hire myself out to do that. That would be my next big gig. For the 2015 Mustang EcoBoost, Ford sound engineers and developers worked on an active noise control system that amplifies the engine's purr through the car speakers. Afterward, the automaker surveyed members of Mustang's fan clubs on which processed sound concepts they most enjoyed. Ford said in a statement the vintage V8 engine boom, quote, has long been considered the mating call of Mustang, unquote, but added that the newly processed sound is, quote, Athletic and youthful. A more refined growl with a low-frequency sense of powerfulness, unquote. These guys came right from the perfume industry. Among purists, the trickery has inspired an identity crisis. The aural experience of a car, they argue, is an intangible. It's just as priceless as what's revving under the hood. For a car guy, it's literally music to hear that thing rumble, said a past president and 33-year member of the Denver Mustang, Mustang Club. It's a mind trick. It's something it's not, and no one wants to be deceived, he says. That type of ire has made the audio industry shy about discussing its sound technology. Several attempts to speak with Ford sound engineers about the new F-150, a six-cylinder model of America's best-selling truck that plays a muscular engine sound through the speakers, were quietly rebuffed. Here they are now. (laughs) Car companies are increasingly, I'm telling you, i got to call my agent. Car companies are increasingly wary of alerting buyers that they might not be hearing the real thing. Many automakers have worked with auto, audio and software engineers to make their cars synthesized engine sound more realistic. S- Volkswagen uses what's called a sound doctor, a special speaker that looks like a hockey puck. Attention, Don Rickles. Roy- royalties. And plays sound files in cars such as the GTI and Beetle Turbo. Lexus worked with sound technicians at Yamaha to more loudly amplify the noise of its LFA supercar, supercar, toward the driver's seat. 
Porsche, with its sound symposer, have used, has used noise-boosting tubes. Ouch! To crank up the engine sound inside the cabin. BMW plays a recording of its motors through the car stereo, a sample of which changes depending on the engine's load and power. Orchestrated engine noise has become a necessity for electric cars, says this piece in the Post, which runs so quietly they can provide a dangerous surprise for inattentive pedestrians and the blind. Excuse me, the tires still make noise as you approach. You can hear them. They're tires. They're not electric tires. Federal safety officials are finalizing rules later this year requiring all hybrid and electric cars to play fake engine sounds to alert passers-by. <laughs> With traditional engines, some boosters have even celebrated artificial noise as a little added luxury. Even drivers who appreciate the accompaniment have questioned the mission. A slash gear reviewer who otherwise enjoyed the new F-150 truck said the engine sound was piped in arguably pointlessly. That's a adverbial car wreck there, ladies and gentlemen. And F Formula One car racing has gotten in on this, too. They pipe in because the, uh, they've noticed that their crowds like that sound. I hope they pipe in some carbon monoxide, too, as the cars burn cleaner. Because I'm, I'm sure the crowd likes that. It only led me to ask, okay, you're going to pipe in, because the fans at Formula One races like engine noise sound so, so much, you have to pipe in the artificial one because there's not enough real stuff. Why doesn't the NBA pipe in fake ball bouncing and squeaker, sneaker squeak over the commercials and music that they play in the arena so loud that you can't hear the real ball bouncing and sneaker squeak. Just a question. But now... Once I had a secret that lived within the heart of me All too soon my secret became impatient to be free Secrets, no secrets anymore. News of secrets, ladies and gentlemen. Once speech data has been rendered as text, it becomes far more workable as a data set, allowing algorithms to crawl it in the same way Google searches the text of the world's web pages. This is from DefenseOne.com. That small breakthrough doesn't sound like much, but it could actually revolutionize information gathering for the intelligence community. What a great community it is, too. They missed the whole Yemen coup deal. That small, um, in theory, when speech is in more different types of environments, if it can be collected and transcribed, that any conversation happening with the earshot of a networked microphone could become searchable in real time. If, if achieving that sort of capability would require, in addition to better speech recognition software, the ability to collect speech data almost anywhere, especially where U.S. has no boots on the ground. Boots! But getting data collection devices into more places becomes easier with every iPhone purchase, thanks in part to the Internet of Things. The next wave of interconnected consumer gadgets, like the Apple Watch, Represent a broad trend in devices that rely on voice commands and speak to users. Are they legal open, legally open to intelligence gathering? The NSA continues to gather metadata on cell phone users. 
If you're worried about your device becoming a listening ear for the government, so too could the very air around you. The intelligence community in the decades ahead will rely on an ever smaller and capable array of microphones to pick up speech, some border on the unbelievable. Scientists have actually created a microphone that is just one molecule of dibenzoterylene, which changes color depending upon pitch. Devices that pick up noise or vibrations can be as small as a grain of rice. Ooh, rice. Better eat wheat. Continued advancement in the field of device miniaturization could one day allow for the dispersal of extremely small but capable listening machines, one of the uses a future technology sometimes called, not kidding, smart dust. In a, 2000 pa- a 2007 paper entitled Enabling Battle Space Persistent Surveillance, the Form, Function, and Future of Smart Dust, Air Force Major Scott Dixon speculates that future microelectromechanical systems will sense a wide, vera- wide array of information with the processing and communication capabilities to act as independent or networked sensors, fused together into a network of nano-sized particles distributed over the battlefield capable of measuring, collecting, and sending information. Smart dust will transform persistent surveillance for the warfighter, unquote. The nascent opportunity to turn the physical world into a landscape for surveillance is a theme that's showing up with greater frequency in scholarly defense literature. Smart dust. Huh? Your mom always told you to get, get rid of all the dust. When the new Senate Intelligence Committee chairman announced that allegedly unbeknownst to him, the former chairwoman had widely distributed the panel's study of CIA torture, that is the Senate Intelligence Committee's executive summary of the study, he was perturbed. A sensitive document, one whose validity he has vehemently challenged, now being spread within the executive branch. Concerning, said Republican, new Republican chairman Richard Burr. Most of the recipients that Burr is concerned about never even opened their copy in response to a Freedom of Information Act request for the full, still classified report. Almost 7,000 pages in length. Government lawyers wrote that most of the executive agencies that had been copied on the transmission of the full report to the White House from then-Chair Feinstein hadn't opened their sealed copy and in one case never even picked it up. The FBI's copy remains sealed in the Justice Department Office of Legislative Affairs. The Bureau has yet to collect it. The State Department, CIA, have carefully limited, limited access. No, uh, CIA and Department of Defense have carefully limited access to and made only very limited use of the report. Department of State hasn't even opened the package. Denounced by a Democratic senator of the committee, Ron Wyden. Shocking, he says. Really? Shocking? What country do you think you're living in, sir? Years before the release of that report, an internal review by the CIA found that the agency had repeatedly overstated the value of intelligence gained during the enhanced interrogation regime. The report, more than a thousand pages in length, came to be known as the Panetta Review after Leon Panetta, who was the CIA director at the time, ordered it be done in 2009. At least one of the authors won an agency award for her work. Hmm. The contents of the Panetta Review, which remain classified, are now central to simmering battles over the Intelligence Committee's conclusions about the efficacy of torture. The CIA has publicly distanced itself from the report's findings, saying it was an incomplete and cursory review of documents and has blocked its release under the Freedom of Information Act. Now, details of the Panetta Review, 
presented last month by the CIA Inspector General in a briefing to the Intelligence Committee. Have come as the new incoming chairman, Senator Burr, wrote to President Obama saying he wants the committee's report back, all the copies. But the Panetta Review does say the CIA can continually overstated the value of, um, oh, what's that word? D- torture. Sure. That's not secret anymore. And uh, Senator Burr wants those unread copies back. Because, you know, they could be gathering dust. And now, ladies and gentlemen. News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Deadline Rio de Janeiro. The organizer of the World Cup, governing body of uh, world football, FIFA. You know, they held the World Cup in Brazil last year. They held the hold the Olympics there next year. FIFA has announced the creation of a special fund of $100 million to support sports facilities, youth and women's football, and medical health projects in Brazil. Why? To mitigate the effects holding the World Cup tournament had on the host nation. Think the Olympics does anything like that? Think again. The World Cup Legacy Fund is aimed at giving something back to the tournament's host nation as FIFA President Sepp Blatter promised two years ago. The World Cup inevitably has an impact on society and the environment in the host country, said FIFA Secretary General Jerome Valky. Therefore, the organizers had a responsibility to limit the associated negative effects. Think the Olympics does that? Brazil spent around $15 billion to organize the World Cup. $3 billion alone were spent on new and refurbished stadiums. 90% 90% of the total money came from the public. They're getting $100 million back. There's, there's your return on investment. Additionally, public holidays introduced during the tournament were partly to blame for a technical recession in Brazil. Late last year, government officials have acknowledged. FIFA, on the other hand, generated more than $4 billion in sales from the World Cup. So, $100 million? We pee that out every day. And... Rio de Janeiro will not make good on its Olympic pledge of slashing the flow of raw sewage and garbage into the Guanabara Bay where the 2016 Games sailing and windsurfing competitions will be held. That's acknowledged by the state's top environmental official this week. Brazilian officials promised to cut the flow of pollutants into the bay by 80% was a key part of the city's Olympic bid, widely held up as among the most enduring legacies of the Games. But with just a year and a half to go before the event, It's increasingly clear the target won't be met. The environment secretary said he couldn't uh, tell reporters an estimate of how much officials would actually succeed in cutting the flow of pollutants into the bay. 80%? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, he said. Still, he said the Olympic events won't be compromised. This does not affect the courses for the sailing events. There's no big risk for sailors having troubles with illnesses and such things. I'm not worried about the water quality in those areas. I'm much more worried about the floating garbage there, he said. 
Sailors associations have expressed reservations about water quality as well as the garbage, both of which they say could harm sailors' health. Olympic sailors have described the venue as a sewer, complaining of the stench at event's main venue, describing having to dodge floating sofas, animal carcasses, and plastic trash bags that foul rudders in the open waters. A few sailors have said they got sick after falling into the bay. The Environment Secretary said he wasn't sure whether Olympic authorities have been informed that the cleanup pledge will not be met. Sewer sailing! A new event in the Olympics! It's a movement! And we all need one every day!
This is the show, and now, ladies and gentlemen, news from outside the bubble. Something else being kept secret that we won't see soon. The six-year-long British inquiry into the Iraq invasion and its aftermath. Yes, they're actually having one of those. But it won't be published before the upcoming general election in May, prompting an outcry from those demanding the long-overdue reckoning should be put before the voters, according to the Guardian newspaper. Sir John Chilcott, chairman of the inquiry that bears his name, explained the delay to the prime minister. The inquiry was set up way back in 2009, took its last public evidence from a witness way back in 2011. The Prime Minister has expressed his personal frustration at the repeated delays. Tony Blair, the Prime Minister who lied, excuse me, at the time of the war, has insisted he's not the culprit behind the delay. His allies suggest the blame lies with the civil service and sensitivities about relations between the United States and UK intelligence agencies. There has been a standoff between those demanding that the personal exchange of messages between former President Bush and Blair in the run-up to the war be published and those saying that such a move would represent an unprecedented breach of confidence concerning one of the most sensitive episodes in British foreign relations. The publication date of the inquiry was discussed when David Cameron met Barack Obama at the White House last week. Wonder what that was about. Wonder what happened there. In June last year, Chalcott announced he was satisfied that the gist of talks between Blair and Bush could be made public. He was understood to have sent letters to those who were to be criticized, giving them an opportunity to respond before the report's publication. The deputy prime minister reacted furiously to the delay, saying the public, soldiers, and families affected needed closure after six years of delay, adding the public will think the findings are being, quote, sexed down, unquote, to meet the needs of the establishment. That's, that's rough stuff from a guy who's in the government. The Scottish National Party's leader and the parliament in Westminster said if the, the report is to be delayed again, it would be an absolute scandal. Tony Blair, of course, has made repeated attempts to justify the highly controversial invasion. But he has conceded that for a variety of reasons, including disputes in the Bush administration, the detail and quality of post-war planning was... Inadequate. Ooh, I slipped. Editorialized with my voice. News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now news of the godly. The Philippines government came under fire this week after admitting that hundreds of homeless people were taken off the streets and put into luxury accommodations during the Pope's recent visit when he preached compassion for the poor. Members of the Parliament demanded an explanation after the Social Welfare Secretary revealed 490 beggars and homeless people were taken to air-conditioned log cabins at a resort last week. The Pope would have wanted to see the Philippines warts and all, said a member of the House of Representatives initiating an inquiry. The uh, Social Welfare Secretary said the street people, many of whom live in shanties and hammocks along the seafront, were removed before the visit. The homeless were taken to plush accommodation at Hilltop Resort, south of Manila, before being deposited back on the streets hours after the Pope left. The Secretary General of the left-wing party criticized the decision, saying the government was whitewashing poverty. But the uh, Social Welfare Secretary said the homeless would have been vulnerable to syndicates 
and discriminated against a lot had they stayed in the area. Part of the orientation is to familiarize themselves with a room with a door and toilets, she said. The Chateau Royal, where the homeless people stayed, offers swimming pools and rock climbing facilities and usually charges $544 per room per night. The social welfare secretary said the government didn't pay full price. For years, a Catholic priest viewed a New South Wales school in Australia where he taught as a pedophilic smorgasbord catering to his depraved desires. Unfettered by the church, John Sidney Denham abused dozens of boys wherever and whenever he chose. He found new victims during transfers to parishes across the state. At 73, he's already middle of a jail term handed him in 2010 for his sexual assault of boys as young as five. But on Friday, he was sentenced to another 13 years for charges stemming from his abuse of 18 boys at St. Pius X School in the 1970s. Quote, some of the offenses represent the most abhorrent and sadistic combination of circumstances that courts are likely to see, said the judge. She continued, at the school, the offender operated as if he was at some pedophilic smorgasbord entitled to abuse boys at any time or place of his choosing. It defies belief, she continued, that his abuse of children was not only widely known, but ignored or condoned by those in authority. He preyed on the most vulnerable boys, befriending them, giving them treats, abusing them, and then threatening them. He seemed to relish how their vulnerability increased by his abuse, said the judge, by smirking and making flippant comments. The boys were attacked in public and private, in the playground, in the principal's office, even right outside the confessionals. If they complained to the principal, who is now dead, further physical abuse ensued. He, the priest told a psychologist he'd received oblique warnings while at the school, being told, quote, the fathers don't like that kind of thing, unquote. But nothing was done. The school was described as a place where punishment was meted out mercilessly and denim sadistic behavior just contributed to this climate of fear. And a Southeast Asian Buddhist monk has provoked outrage by calling a United Nations special envoy a bitch and a whore. Buddhist a Burmese monk Ashin Wiratu made the remarks about South Korean human rights envoy Yang Gi Lee, who toured Burma last week to assess the dire situation of the nation's persecuted Muslim community. You've heard a lot about that, haven't you? Last Friday, the priest, the monk, said at a public rally, we've explained about the race protection law, but the bitch criticized the laws without studying the property. Don't assume you're a respectable person because of your position. For us, you are a whore, said the Buddhist monk. He spent almost a decade in prison for inciting anti-Muslim hatred. He's a leader of a movement which campaigns for Myanmar, also known as Burma, to remain a solely Buddhist country. I want you to concentrate your mind on the present. Try to remove all distractions and just focus on the word horror. News of the godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, the, uh, the story that refuses to die, because it may not even be alive, the Hillary Clinton campaign, if it exists. Um, it, it seems to be in the formation process. Hillary Clinton reports Politico is trying to build a disciplined and loyal campaign team that can avoid one of the very things that plagued her last campaign, 
unflattering leaks to the press. Reporters covering her 2008 bid relished the dirty laundry her senior staffers dished about each other. Now, as she blends longtime loyalists and Obama campaign alumni, a major question surrounding the efforts is exactly how to minimize the damage from inevitable press leaks while maintaining focus on the message. The test of a good campaign is how it deals with adversity and whether people pick each other up, support each other, or whether they start leaking on each other and trying to purge each other, says a former Obama strategist, i.e. operative. Leaks are a challenge for any major presidential bid, but the stakes are especially high for Clinton, says Politico. Her early dominance of the race carries an enhanced risk of leaks. She's shown in recent years she can run a leak-free operation. Her tenure leading the State Department didn't include many front-page stories detailing tensions with the White House. But a presidential campaign in today's hyper-caffeinated, Twitter-obsessed media environment is an entirely different beast. Interviews with more than a dozen Clinton veterans suggested a slew of obstacles for her. Someone who's in the past had many more self-destructive moments than other politicians. Her campaign is expected to mix some of her closest allies with Obama veterans and less experienced operatives. The bigger they get, the more difficult it is to keep the information in-house. Based on sheer numbers alone, her campaign will be larger, much more competitive, and much more at risk of leaking. That bigger they are quote is from Tad Devine, a former senior advisor to Al Gore and John Kerry. Experienced staffers explain that survival in their cutthroat world requires not just loyalty to the boss, but also a certain cachet in the political press that showcases proximity to the inner circle. Veteran Clinton aides say they're especially worried that staffers from, quote, evil Hillary world, people who have sniped to the press in the past over internal tensions, are already gunning to get close again and potentially create the kind of toxic environment prone to backbiting. That's not an issue that's going to go away, says a source who's known both Bill and Hillary Clinton for years. It's going to be worse. And a documentary in the works on former President Clinton by Martin Scorsese has been indefinitely shelved after the sides disagreed on control of the film. That's according to a report in the New York Times citing unnamed people advised on the project. The partially completed film stalled after ex-President Clinton demanded more direction over the interview questions and the final product. Reuters could not independently verify the report, which therefore can be described as a leak to the New York Times. Representatives for Scorsese and Clinton did not immediately respond to requests for comment. A spokesman for HBO, which backed the documentary, said, it's not happening soon, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Could describe the death of the sun, too. All in all, ladies and gentlemen, it sounds like fodder for another edition of Clinton Something, next here on the show. something the pre-candidacy years so this is uh, still when he was just crown prince abdullah mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. he says to me uh, <laughs> if you let your wife drive Next thing you know, she'll want to be president. <laughs> Very far-sighted dude. Yeah, yeah. 
Bill, I have to talk to you about uh, something serious. Hey, all your polls are great. By all your pollsters, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren's looking more like Chris Matthews every day. <laughs> what could be wrong? Hun, it's nothing out there. It's something in here. Oh, you're not going to redecorate this dining room again. Jesus, toots, I can only get the foundation to pony up for it so many times before. In this marriage. Uh Uh-oh. Nothing good is coming when you start throwing around the M word. (laughs) This documentary Martin Scorsese is making about you. Oh, you want a bigger part? Hey, look, it's not up to me. I have to talk to the... I want you to have a smaller part, as in... No part, as in it can't go on. Wow. Am I hearing the voice of Little Miss Envy? Does someone resent the fact that the greatest filmmaker of our generation is chosen as his subject, old Bubba here? Oh, don't be ridiculous, Bill. At some time in the future, after everything's, you know, settled down, Mm -hmm. I think it'd be a lovely thing for you to do. Right now, not so much. Look, we're trying to stay out of your way. We haven't even filmed in the house yet. Although Marty does have a dolly movie he wants to do in the sun porch that looks amazing. Marty? Well, I don't call him that to his face, but... Hun, it's the old problem in a new location. You just can't keep it zipped. This time, it's your mouth. I, I just can't have you going off message on film. Not now. Not in this environment of... Viral this and social media that. You on Facebook yet? My people are. (laughs) Look, Marty's got a way of getting me to just loosen up and be myself. Is that so wrong? You want to see a clip someone in the picture just sent me? What? Even a movie leaks? Here. Maggie showed me how to play this. So, the the Hillary campaign. Can we go back to that for a minute? Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Can I have some more of this uh, non-alcoholic refreshment? Oh, absolutely. It's on HBO's tab. (laughs) (laughs) Hillary's campaign. Well, Marty, I'm not privy to all the private meetings at the House, but I can tell you this. There's a... There's a plan afoot to have a gay dance troupe perform at her major campaign appearances to kind of stress the diversity outreach of her campaign. Really? Mm -hmm. An existing group? No, it's being assembled especially for her campaign. Mm. The It Takes a Village people. (laughs) That's good. That's very good. It's... Really? Oh, it's a harmless little joke. Who gave it to you, Doug? It was Doug, right? Hon, we were talking about the movie. I know you don't sit around the foundation office thinking up stupid jokes, (laughs) but you do repeat them on film film that gets leaked. Has he asked you about Jeffrey Epstein yet? Oh, he knows all that stuff is off limits. All what stuff? You know, the rumors about the prince Mm. and, you know, the... uh... The baby bimbo eruption? (laughs) Oh, hey, look. Epstein's donations to the foundation happened to pay for regrouting our pool, so... Honey, I'm just saying this very clearly in words of one, or at most two syllables... The movie can't go on. Let me tell you something, Toots. Mm -hmm. This is Marty Scorsese we're talking about. He made a documentary about the Rolling Stones. Mm -hmm. Don't you get it? Yeah. (laughs) Sure, I've been president. But how many men get to be both president of the United States 
and a certified rock star. Uh, Marty, yeah. Can I talk to you? Cameron, uh, can you give me an idea how soon? Three minutes, sir. Three minutes, Marty. Thanks, Cal. Uh, yeah, Bill, we, we got a couple minutes. Shoot. Well, we're looking at a little problem here. Wow. Somebody's leaking raw footage of what we're shooting here to Hillary. Oh, no, 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 no. I sent that to Maggie. I thought it was cute. Cute little line. I just thought uh, she'd be tickled to hear that you stole a joke. I wouldn't describe the mood in Hillary Land as tickled. Oh, come on. No big deal. Nothing gets leaked. Really. HBO is so paranoid about piracy these days. They're encrypting the call sheets. She's really afraid you're going to ask me about off-limit stuff, and I'm going to say something off-message, and the whole non-campaign is going to go off-kilter. You know, we've got such great stuff. We got great you. You you don't think Mick Jagger was paranoid about how he looked? He ended up being so pleased he's using a still from the film on his Twitter profile. Mm -hmm. I mean, man, here's the last thing Hillary said last night before she closed the door. Uh Does Martin Scorsese really want to be responsible for the election of another President Bush? Whoa, that's a little unfair. I don't think any documentary has the power to do that. Mm -hmm. Cool. But she does. And she's the one that's not running yet. Bill, I can still call you Bill, right? Oh, sure, that doesn't change. Bill, we've got quite a chunk of HBO's money wrapped up in this thing. I mean, by movie standards, it's one day's Cal's own budget, but still... Hey, Marty, hmm? I, I, I can still call you Marty? Yeah, until we wrap. Just tell the guys at HBO they'd have been out twice as much money if I'd hit them up for my foundation. Now, that's good. That's very good. We'll say the schedule's got too complicated. You know what? We'll say whatever the PR people decide we should say. Fair enough. (sighs) Thanks, man. I owe you big time. Well, if you ever want to meet Jeffrey Epstein, (sighs) just listen. I'm too old for that. Yeah, guess so. I can't wait till I am. Youthful angst and middle-aged angst. Together they add up to Clinton something. The pre-candidacy years. He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector. Oh, yeah. yeah. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen. The Department of Homeland Security's Inspector General is protesting redactions made by the TSA, your friends at the airport, in a security audit of Homeland Security information systems at mm, JFK Airport in New York City. That's all. Officials at the TSA classified sections of the report from the Inspector General, as sensitive security information, SSI, which by law cannot be included in a public report. But the Inspector General, John Roth, characterized the TSA action as an abuse of classification, like they're over-redacting. See what I said? And reluctantly issued a redacted version of the audit to the public. He furnished an unedited version of his report to congressional committees. Overclassification is the enemy of good government. SSI markings should be only used to protect transportation security rather than, as I fear occurred here, to allow government program officials to conceal negative information within a report. 
said the IG. I believe and the computer experts on my staff confirmed this report should be released in its entirety in the public domain, unquote. Previously released Inspector General reports had contained similar material, he said, and contents of the new report posed no threat to transportation security. He sent formal memos in November and December protesting the deletions to then-TSA Administrator John Pistol. <laughs> the memos also cited delays in TSA's review of the IG report, which was issued in draft form last July. The DHS spokeswoman wouldn't publicly discuss the rationale behind the redactions, or the over-redactions, but says the department has taken corrective actions on the airport systems to resolve existing vulnerabilities, secure IT equipment from unauthorized access, and ensure that environmental controls for the airport are established, documented, and implemented to provide protection. She says DHS has also developed plans of action and milestones to address the recommendations in the IG audit. So why the hell do we need to know about it? News of inspector, news of ticked-off inspectors general, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Some nice people doing nice things, apologizing. The head of public relations for Rupert Murdoch's English tabloid newspaper, The Sun, Dylan Sharp, has apologized for sending a topless photograph to several high-profile Twitter users. The Daily Newspaper, after a lot of protests, stopped printing photographs of topless models on page three for all of three days. And several reports emerged that it had discontinued the feature permanently, including one in the sister paper owned by Rupert Murdoch, The Times. But when The Sun printed a topless photograph on Thursday's edition, Sharp sent a sequences of 22-year-old Nicole to media commentators and to the former... Home Secretary. Sharp was criticized for both gloating and for sending unsolicited topless images to recipients and has now in ap- apologized in a statement to BuzzFeed. Someone with a lot of followers thought I'd done it to be nasty. He said, no, I thought it's funny. It's not about the naked breasts. It's the wink in the photograph. I continue to be told I'm a C-blank-blank-T, a word you can use in Britain but not here, by people who know my name, my job, and the one tweet I sent. But I never meant to offend, and I want to apologize to all I copied in that tweet. It was supposed to be funny, but clearly I misjudged that one. Humor by amateurs, ladies and gentlemen. Deadline Slayton, Texas. The school district has apologized after students chanted, USA, 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 following a girls' basketball. I almost choked on girls' basketball game because the chants were perceived as racist. The students from Idaloo were chanting USA after a game at Slayton. The Slayton School District is 74% Hispanic. Idaloo Superintendent Jim Waller apologized for the incident but said no students will be disciplined. Apparently it's a tradition in Texas to yell USA, USA, USA at schools with high Hispanic populations. CNN host Anderson Cooper apologized for, no, for giggling like a school, no, for factually inaccurate segments on his show that mentioned so-called no-go zones or areas in European cities that are off-limits to non-Muslims. Ironic considering CNN had landed and touted an exclusive interview in which the mayor of Paris told the network she planned to sue Fox News for its inaccurate reports on the supposed no-go zones. On Monday night, we aired a report that was critical of Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal for continually saying there were no-go zones in England and elsewhere. Cooper said, I think if you're going to point fingers at others' mistakes, you should also 
acknowledge your own mistakes, and we didn't do that on the program. I didn't challenge those guests. Twice referred to them as well. I should have been more skeptical. Refer to the no-go zones. I won't make the same mistake again. CNN reported several times on the supposed no-go zones. Cooper himself mentioned them at some point, though none went as far as terrorism. Analyst Steve Emerson did on Fox News to the delight of the British media. Deadline Tokyo, the operator of the wrecked Fuk nuclear plant, TEPCO, said it would not be able to meet a self-imposed deadline to decontaminate water containing highly radioactive substances by the end of March. Well, they should just send it to Brazil. They can sail in it. The admission by the utility is another setback in its struggle to cope with the contaminated water, which is mostly contained in hastily constructed tanks. What could go wrong? TEPCO President Hirose visited officials at the Nuclear Regulation Authority to report the company would not be able to process all the contaminated water by the end of March, as promised. I feel very sorry I was not able to carry out my promise to process the contaminated water, he said. At our current pace, we will complete it by mid-May. And we'll check back with him come right about that time. The Seattle Seahawks apologized on Twitter after sharing a tweet of a crying Russell Wilson next to a Martin Luther King Jr. quote. We shall overcome MLK Day, wrote the Seahawks' official account in a tweet. With with the tweet was a second quote from King and a photo of Wilson, the Seahawks' quarterback, who broke down in tears after the team's come-from-behind win over Green Bay last Sunday. Sports blogs and media critics were quick to blast the Hawks for sending the tweet that they said compared the civil rights movement to a football game. Quote, we apologize for poor judgment sown in a tweet sent earlier, said the Seahawks. After deleting the tweet or detweeting the leet, we did not intend to compare football to the civil rights legacy of Dr. King, unquote. And NBC Nightly News has apologized for showing a clip in which New England Patriots wide receiver Julian Edelman wore a T-shirt showing rapper Tupac making an offensive gesture. We inadvertently showed an offensive image on a T-shirt during one of our reports tonight. The program tweeted, we apologize to our viewers. An Edelman wearing a Trust Nobody shirt show that shows the rapper giving a double bird gesture was embarrassed when told he'd been wearing the shirt. Oh, my, I've got this shirt on right now, he said. Jeez, bro, you guys didn't even let me know about that, unquote. Wait till he finds out about mirrors. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations of our NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The USEN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world, through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ. On the mighty 104 in Berlin, around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived, whenever you want it. HarryShearer.com and KCSN.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com. Available as a free podcast. From WWNO.org, SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, iTunes, and TuneIn Radio. 
And it would be just like some of that secret stuff coming out all over us. If you'd agree to join with me, then would you already? Thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh. I said Pittsburgh. Chicago in exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO in New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. Uh, The email address for this broadcast, the playlist of the music heard here on, and your way to get Cars I Talk t-shirts all glommed into one place, harryshearer.com. And me? I'm the Harry Shearer on Twitter. Come find me. No, I'm not lost. I just need to be found. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, the flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.